Ayama, Bo Spiram, Gumaroi, Kuma, Marawari. Uh, before I go any further, I'd like to uh, pay my respects to the traditional owners um, and also to uh, the warriors um, who fought in the first 140-year battle uh, of this continent uh, known as the Frontier Wars. Uh, this podcast uh, is called Frontier War Stories, and this is episode five. Um, throughout uh, the series, um, you will hear from historians, um, you will hear from researchers, um, artists, musicians, oral history keepers who have kept uh, the stories alive of these individuals or of these sort of clans and groups that have held uh, these resistances throughout um, Australia. Um, today, um, on uh, this on episode five, uh, you'll hear uh, me talking about um, another important figure who was a part of a 40-year uh, resistance, uh, one of the longest uh, battlefronts um, in, in, in Australian history that lasted over 40 years. Um, you know, we'll be talking about the Battle of One Tree Hill and Multagara uh, and other key, um, maybe people in his life, but then also key events um, you know, that led him to being the central figure that we know um, and, and that we've heard of um, about today. So um, uh, my guest uh, on this episode this morning uh, is Ray. Um, it was a historian, um, has, you know, written quite a, an extensive um, about the history of Brisbane. Um, over many years, worked with many different Aboriginal people uh, to record these histories. Um, so, Ray, just before we go any further as well, um, if there's anything else that we, um, you know, that I missed in terms of, you know, uh, who you are and what you do, please um, um, add some. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I'm currently on the historian in residence at uh, Noosa, but uh, I've been the visiting fellow with Griffith and I've also been involved uh, at UQ as a historian with the Aboriginal Environments uh, Centre there, which is part of the Department of Architecture. Um, I'm basically a consultant across a lot of the, these uh, different areas and, and a particular focus of mine last oh, five years, six years has been um, the Frontier Wars and uh, trying to reconstruct how how the other side of the frontier, you know, because I think there's been enough done on how what whites did, but I'm, I'm more interested in, in how it operated on, you know, for Aboriginal people. Mm-hmm. Um, well, well, yeah, like through, through the uh, through our chat, you know, our listeners, uh, they will hear about, you know, the Aboriginal resistance, the battle tactics, and also the signalling, I guess, between different nations, whether that's warning them about who's coming, you know what I mean, um, how that looked or however that research sort of panned out as well. Like we'll touch um, on that. Like I mentioned uh, before, your book, uh, Battle of One Tree Hill, um, so tells the story of uh, Multagara, um, you know, a proud Aboriginal man who, you know, like so many other Aboriginal people, I guess, um, in these times, you know, um, wanted to sort of, um, or I guess, you know, had this sort of conflicting, um, you know, uh, element about, you know, whose, whose law should stay and whose law should go, you know what I mean? So, and, and, and that's something that's happened all over this country as well. You know, when you look at, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, when you, when you hear the, hear about these frontier, uh, uh, um, battles, you know, that sort of spanned over the, like I said, the first 140, almost 150 years. So could you tell us a bit about the book? You know, you said, well, so you spent about yeah. five years on it. Oh, well, this, uh, well, no, I mean, I've been looking at Frontier Wars for the last five years, but, but or six years, but this book's been more like a four-year effort, and, and that was partly, I was working with um, some of the Bonners, uh, you know, Jagra yeah. descendants, and also with um, Western Wakwaka, that's like uh, Adrian um, uh, Beattie and, um, and and his family, uh, uh, but but also this, this was a and, and when I started doing that research for them, because they were, you know, just doing their heritage reports and so on, I came across Frank Ewer, who's the co-author of the book. Mm -hmm. uh, he he is himself a descendant of some of the first um, uh, European families, and in his own family were involved. They they, mm -hmm. they became native uh, police officers. Um, his own um, ancestors were killed in this in this conflict. You know, so um uh he'd done a lot of work on that so we we combined forces to to awesome. make the book um i i wanted to say the uh, that um and, and for that we actually uh, apart from just going through all the old records that we had here i, I got stuff from new south wales um uh, 
the archives there. We went through dozens of, uh, I, I interviewed pa pa probably every historian who's ever worked in this area on, on that particular thing, just trying to get the story right. And the reason um, I got so, so interested in, in One Tree Hill is because it's a victory. And I started to find, you know, that um, there were more victories than I, than I uh, originally thought. You know, the, the whole idea that you have of the frontier wars as being sort of like this um, endless genocide, when in fact um, there was brilliant um, um, military sort of manoeuvres and, 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 and despite the odds, uh, Aboriginal people uh, winning the, the contest uh, a number of times, a number of occasions. And this particular one was was immortalised. The whole Battle of One Tree Hill was immortalised in a, in a in a ballad, which is called the Raid of the um, Aborigines. And that ballad was was so famous that it used to get um, sung and and uh, and reprinted in in the papers for for decades. It went from eighteen forties when it was first put out all the way to the early nineteen hundreds, and people knew it off by heart. Um, and that got me very interested to to see that 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 this figure had be, had become so. Uh, well known. There were paintings that were done about him. Um, he gets mentioned in um, in a novel by um, um, uh, Campbell Praed, who was uh, the first Australian uh, novelist to, to be internationally famous. She wrote about him. Mm. Um, so I'm thinking, gee, th th this. And he even gets mentioned in the speech from the 1860s by one of the um, one of the uh, the he he was I think premier for a while in in Queensland. You know, so so. People knew about him, and somehow he's been forgotten, which I thought is, is kind of uh, tragic. Um, particularly when we when we looked at it, uh, we had some. Uh, I had some involvement with some. Uh, there's a Rod Pratt, who's a military historian, and, and and he said it's the only occasion in Australian history at that time when there was there was actually ammunition and stuff being sent to the to a particular spot. He said all at this time, all the soldiers and that were being. Uh, put into the New Zealand wars, the Maori wars, with mm -hmm. the sole exception of, of the stuff that was happening at One Tree Hill. They were so worried about that. They set up a, a, a little fort at Heldon, like a garrison. Mm -hmm. um, and because the, the resistance was, was so ongoing. And when we did the book, I found that, that, that there's the Battle of One Tree Hill, which was um, they defeated a, a group of um, squatters, probably about something like 40 or 50, you know, a group of them. Uh, uh, and then I found that there was there were a number of other um, victories that they had, but it's it's sort of been covered up because when you read the mm. the literature, you know, it just took, like even the raid of the Aborigines seems to be about one of the follow up activities uh, when they were chasing Multagra, and and it seemed that the, that again was actually went in the favour of the of uh, Multagra's group, mm -hmm. and that that got me really interested the the fact that that um someone could do this and, and, and just the scale of the organisation when I looked into it, the, the fact that um, you had an alliance across them, they called it the Mountain Tribes Alliance and that was a whole lot of groups, they were traditional groups, so the Buran and the um, uh, Jinnabara, who were, they were traditional sort of confederacies anyway, but they'd come together with other groups and then made this sort of massive unit that covered sort of the whole of the Darling Downs and um, parts of, uh, you know, uh, the southern Queensland, you know, the scale of this is immense. Mm -hmm. um, and like, just I'll just jump in here. And one of the reasons why that you know I wanted to start this podcast is to sort of echo, you know, what you just said in terms of you know what I mean, um, and the significance of that win or in uh, on um, the, the the one battle tree. You know what I mean, like the significance of that because um, if it wasn't you know for those actions or even, you know, for that ballad that you said, you know, which sort of kept that story alive for so many decades. Um, and then, you know, people started writing about it and there was mentions here, there and everywhere. You know what I mean? Like, like we don't hear this side of history. Um, and I guess you as a historian, why, why don't you think we hear uh, that type of, that, that side of history, uh, the battles that were won uh, and that were fought by Aboriginal people? Yeah. Well, um, I think it goes against the um, the narrative. You know, the narrative is that uh, well, uh, Aboriginal people didn't didn't care about the land. You know, that's basically the 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 the, the, the propaganda that goes around. You know, it didn't. It, they weren't attached to it anyway. Mm. You know, they, it wasn't really um, a bother that white people moved in or something or something like that. And that and uh, you know, they, they they couldn't even fight us. They were just so. It's almost like oh, they were they were too stupid to organise mm. themselves. Um, I found that wasn't the case at all. You're talking about 40 years and, and um, you know, 
this is this is something that, that often gets swept under the carpet. That, you know, why were there massacres? The massacres existed because um, a lot of the settlers couldn't defeat the resistance, so they thought, well, we'll just slaughter everyone. You know, um, and you, you see that in in, in the way that. Um, Maltagra just kept going and going with, you know, there were, there were raids and continuous, they just kept harassing the, the supply line. There's only really one route up to them, uh, up to all the lands in, in the, uh, the um, uh, Darling Downs and beyond. And that was, that was through, through a particular pass. And that's why they kept, they kept attacking that pass again and again. Um, there, were, there was more than one battle of, of One Tree Hill. One Tree Hill is the, the, is the tabletop, Mount Tabletop. that's just outside um, um, uh, Toowoomba. And, and by the way, we, we uh, just last year uh, got that named uh, Maltagra Viaduct. That's through um, awesome. Dr. Dr. Mark Copland working with um, you know, harassing and harassing and you know, working with the local groups there. But um, that's the first time uh, that we've actually got uh, any you know uh, what do you call it, modern landmark of that scale. This this thing is like jolly like. A, like the Sydney Harbour Bridge, it's enormous. They haven't built anything like that in Queensland for ages, and it's named after him. Um, that doesn't happen, you know. Uh, unfortunately, very few places uh, or objects get named after after Aboriginal people. So I think that's setting a bit of a precedent, and that was after a lot of a lot of pushing um, mm-hmm. uh, by the interested groups. But yes. for me, that that says something about the fact. Um, uh, of, of of his character and his and his father, you know, who actually managed this this resistance and and actually, you know, um, when I say it wasn't completely unsuccessful, um, there were areas uh, like Blackfellas Creek and and the Helladon Shrub that actually were still uh, sort of no go zones for whites even as late as the 1870s. So that fascinates me that that he did actually create a legacy. It wasn't just you know well that's uh, uh, it created some sort of safety for his people that there were still areas that, that it, after he passed that um, Aboriginal people could still go to and, and, and feel secure in. Mm. Um, well, so. yeah, well, I guess, like, let's sort of have a chat then about uh, Maltagara. And I guess, you know, we can't sort of begin the discussion without having a chat about his father, Moppy. Um, mm. And you just mentioned he sort of managed, you know, a part of this 40-year resistance as well. Could you tell, a, tell us a bit about that? You know, like, um, you know, obviously the Battle of One Tree Hill is, is sort of significant to the story of Maltagara. You know, what's, you know, what are some of, the, I guess, the records that you found in and around Art Moppy and some of the stuff uh, he, he did or carried out in, the, uh, in these times? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, Old Moppy comes into the picture, at the, you know, and you've already talked with Libby Connors about the whole um, uh, Kilcoy massacre and the effect that had. It sort of galvanised a lot of the... A lot of the uh, local groups and um, Old Moppy was already um, very uh, highly esteemed among a lot of the different groups. And um, so I think that's why the reason why he got knocked off quite early in the piece, you know, but he was already doing things with, with some of the, with, with, like there were uh, raids on the, um, on the runs. Now I've got to explain something here because people don't really understand how ab resistance work often. They, they, they imagine sort of attacking a town and that they weren't towns and, Queensland back then, really, there were just huge uh, cattle and sheep stations uh, all over the, all over, basically the whole country was, was, was split up into that and, and none of them had fences at that point. They were just the hut here and there, you know. And um, obviously that that is imposed on, on top of, uh, you know, the, the geography that's already there. And it's, a, it's it, what's worse, it's imposed on the areas where you've already got your all your kangaroos and your emus and all your, your foods and now there's sheep running all over it you know so you can see how that's a problem so what they often did was target the um uh, the outstations and, and where where the sheep are you know um if you, if you can get rid of the economic base of that uh, europeans are, are living on then then you can actually um drive them away and that's what would happen mm-hmm. again and again you find a lot of the, the runs were abandoned they were um uh, because uh, they just couldn't sustain, and this is what this is what Moppy did. He actually pushed. Um, they pushed the, uh, the the owners of, of the um, of the run from one run to another, and they sort of hold them in, and, and they had abandoned that area, so they actually got the, that whole area back. Um, the, the same with the whole moving of, of sheep. You'll find a lot of these accounts, and you think, what do they mean? They they steal the sheep? Or, you know, what does that mean? What they would do 
they would take as much of the flock as they could, and then they would move it off to um, um, uh, some area that's a natural kind of enclosure, you know, it might be a little valley or something. Sometimes they'd actually construct um, uh, pens themselves, like out of stone or, or brushes, and, and Old Moppy, is, is, there's a record of him doing that, that, that he'd actually had prearranged them, you know, pens. So basically what they did was they, they actually took over the, the, the pastoral industry. They said, okay, well, sheep here, food, you know, well, we can do this, you know. And this, this occurred all over Australia. And I'm, I find this is, it's, it's ludicrous that people haven't looked at this because when you look at the accounts, what they're basically saying is, um, well, they took, they took our flock. We've got nothing, you know. And then they're moving it around here and there. And then what, and what the follow-up activity is often that the, the squatters will then try to get a party of people. It might be a dozen, two, could be a dozen, could be 50 odd. And they go out looking for their damn sheep. And this goes on for months sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then you'll often see the records and you find this with, with Maltugger and, Mo, and um, Moppy. They talk about, well, we got back um, so many hundred of it. You know, they didn't get the poor back. They got a proportion of, you know. Sometimes they would just disperse all the, the sheep just to, you know, make it impossible for the, for the white. <laughs> um, you know, or, or they would, but they would kill off some. Um, but the main thing they were doing was basically taking over the whole, the whole thing. And you think, well, how can you do this on foot? Well, pastoralism all over the world is done on foot. It's in Australia, we've got horses, we're lucky, but, but most of the world, if you go Africa or Asia, people are just doing it walking. And that's exactly mm. the, the accounts we have. They, 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 they would just, you know, they'd herd the sheep here and there and, and they'd keep them and then they'd, they'd eat some of them when they wanted to. Um, but they, what they basically did was rip the guts out of the um, pastoral industry. It was the pastoral industry that was invading um, these places. And so they quickly worked out and that's exactly what um, Moppy was doing. You know, he was taking, you know, was, uh, and that's, that's yeah, also why you find that they'd, they'd burn the outstations, take all the, as much as they, as, as they could. And often the, the fights are trying to get the sheep back. Um, is, so we have accounts of that. Is, is there a count or, or like any records of, of, you know, how much money this actually costs some of these pastoralists or, or I guess at the time, the New South Wales government? Well, it, it's, it's uh, you've got to remember that when people went out and squatted or got a lease, that was often their whole savings. Mm. So it was often their entire, if you're a white person, it's all you, you did on it. And um, I've said for a long time that um, basically what the British government did was they, they left all the dirty work up to the, Europe, uh, up to the settlers. Mm. They, they went around and did surveys. You know, this is why you'll find often explorers were um, targeted. It's because you, you read an explorer account. The journal is basically, it's, uh, uh, it's reconnaissance. You read it, it's saying, what are the resources? Where are they? You know, that's basically the account. And they're writing this for the, the, for the government, which is then going to um, survey and cut up the land. But they, all they did was just send out a surveyor. So if you're an Aboriginal person, you're just seeing someone with a stick and a line. It doesn't seem to mean anything. And then they said, oh, we own all this, you know. But they hadn't bought it. They hadn't even conquered it. They just said that they owned it. And, and then they sold it to, to these... Um, poor fools in, in Britain who would then, then give their life savings, come out to Australia and then try to make a go of it. And how do they make a go of it? Well, they have to fight for it. Or, and a lot of them would actually, when they saw the situation, actually went, went back on the ship and said, forget it, even if, even if it's my fortune. Or they would just sell it to someone else because they thought, no, I can't do this. You know? This is what happened. They go out on the land. So many of these runs were actually resold and resold to other people mm. because um, people, of course, said, well, no, we're not going to have this, you know. We're just, well, you're just going to, uh, you know. I mean, there were some settlers, to be fair, who'd actually, you know, would, would um, give share of the, of the flock and, you know, that they worked out some sort of arrangement with the, with the local people. But in a lot of cases, they're just sort of bulldozing over the top. Mm-hmm. That, that's what happened. In, in the case of um, Old Moppy, what had happened is, is the invasion had started over the top of the downs, above the range, and they were actually coming down the bus because they actually came up from New South Wales and they'd already settled there and they were settling past what's now um, Burke and Warwick. They would come up that way and, they, and then they wanted to come down there because you've got to remember Brisbane at that time was just a penal settlement. There wasn't really any settlement outside of there. So they were coming down the mountains and that's why they were trying to block them from, from doing that. He, uh, the, and what happened with Old Moppy is that because he was a recognised leader uh, of so many of the groups, so many people had trusted him. He was apparently a really tall, very strong man, even even when he was uh, quite old. You know, he was quite impressive. Um, and 
he got into a into a whole uh, sort of thing with um, uh, Cocky Rogers, who's, who seems to have started all this. He was one of the he was one of the um, what would you call it? like a manager of of of, um, of one of the sheep uh, stations that was actually trying to come down the hill. The first incident we have, which I've recorded in the in the book, seems to be him shooting at some people on on Mount Tabletop. He was actually taking his sheep beyond where he should have. He didn't even have <laughs> the right to do that. He was taking them down that that pinch near there. And, and he shot at people that were crobbering up there. And that seems to have sparked the whole thing because you, you get later, um, Gorman, uh, the, um, the, uh, who was in charge of Brisbane, come, comes in and, and people are complaining to him about what's going on up there. Um, but I think what happened is that because Cocky and the others had worked out that, that um, old Moppy was kind of one of the main leaders that a lot of people had trusted in, they got rid of him very quick. And the, the stories that they did that um, when he was out fishing by himself or something. So they... Um, and they said it was even the even the Europeans were kind of um, shocked at the the, the Moppy had been taken out this way. I, I should I should explain to you that in the early days, old Moppy was actually trying to be on good terms with whites. They they hadn't at this time. It was just a penal colony, so they weren't really affecting anything. And um, he used to go and visit the the, the um, uh, you know the authorities there quite quite a lot, you know, and, and try to be um, sort of make some good terms with them. And I think what turned him was was this this whole thing that when Owen came and visited him on his invite, you know, he came to the camp, and, and these people were complaining about what was going up on the downs, and then uh, and then um, so uh, Owen went up, uh, uh, Owen Gordon went up to the up there, and then decided, oh well, because because the the settlers said, oh no, we haven't done anything, you know, no, we're we're <laughs> typical crap, you know, and they they said, you know, it's those, those Aboriginal people, you know, that they're trying to burn us out, which is true, they were, they used to use a whole wall of flame tried to burn them out um, and but he decided he wouldn't do anything and that kind of turned it for old Moppy um, but because he died like only after having only done a bit of this sort of raids and things up there and was killed by by uh, Cocky then and the account we have is that the Maltagra who was was actually the younger son apparently his older brother had been already been killed by in all this um, so it was like um, you could say the mantle of leadership fell on him uh, when he was actually unusually young, but he, but from all accounts, he was a very smart uh, and cluey um, fellow, you know, so that's probably why people trusted him. He'd already, there's an account that he'd already done something when his father was still around, and that was, um, they'd actually taken all the, uh, there was a group that came down, that was with uh, uh, Tinker Campbell, they came down the, the pass, and they'd actually, uh, at the middle of the night, um, uh, they, they were going to come down with all their flock and, and they actually just let all the flock go <laughs> and they took a, and all the bullocks and they were just there and they confronted them with a group of about 20 um, with their arms and um, and um, everyone fled, you know, the whites all fled uh, and, and Tinker was, was, was cornered and that's how he got this connection with Multagra because um, he decided to just uh, grab him and, and stick him on his horse and run off. And I think um, Maltagra thought that was just so amazing that he would do that, that he actually swapped names with him. So they all started, that's all complicated. But the interesting thing is that after that, he, he then, this whole, um, uh, he, he declared that he would kill at least six white people in, in, because of the, what they'd done to his father, you know? And, and that started to put it, I think, in the, in, the, uh, in, in the front of a lot of this, you know? But also, when reading between the lines, he, he negotiated things like there was something he did with um, McConnell, which is up towards um, more Esquay, and um, they uh, uh, they were taking the same sort of thing, you know, the sheep raids and that sort of thing. And, um, and McConnell and his group, about twelve of them, they, they actually managed to surround um, McConnell's group, which is something like 12, 15, 14 people on, on horseback, and they were terrified because he had all these warriors there, and. Um, he basically made a deal with uh, McConnell that, that uh, he gives the sheep, well, some of the sheep back if they'd let their people just, you know, uh, in peace, you know, in that area where McConnell had. And McConnell had a huge bloody block of, you know, the, what's now Esk and Upper Brisbane and almost down to, um, well, uh, what's the name, Wyvernhoe, all that area, you know. So um, that, um, you know, I, I, reading this sort of stuff, I see how he was very clever you know he, he he'd do things that would kind of he'd negotiate if he, if he could um and well and the whole one tree hill thing is even more amazing because that was a, an ambush um i'll give you a bit of background on that um mm -hmm. so uh okay so multugla declares you know that's it i'm gonna 
you know, I'm, um, you know, we're going to drive them out. He actually sent a message down to Brisbane saying that that, that he was going to block the roads and uh, kill the soldiers and so on and so on, you know. Um, and out of that, a lot of the, he had a lot of the runs down on the Lockyer in, in siege to such a point that a lot of them had quit the area, a lot of the whites quit the area. They, they met together in an inn. And I should explain that um, at that time you had a lot of these little inns along the way because people travelled by with uh, bullet carts, which took forever, you know. So there were often these little stopping points along the way which were watering holes and they were also places where people got sloshed you know, and where the settlers met up. And this was one of these inns, Bonifant's Inn, which is kind of roughly where Gatton is now, Grantham, that area there, you know. Um, and they were all sort of basically sheltering there because what, what do we do? You know, our runs are, you know, we can't use our runs. And they, so they sent an, a, a message back to, um, uh, to Simpson, who was in charge of the, of the uh, police, saying, you know, can you send up a force? And in the meantime, what they did, um, because there were no supplies going up to them, up, up the ranges anywhere, they organised for a, a massive um, convoy. Now, um, uh, a bullet dray convoy. Now, that, that would have been, it, it said it was three, some say it was ten. But you've got to remember that each of these has got like, you know, um, ten to thirty bullocks. So you can imagine it's like a bloody road train. And, and, and what they did as well, they had 18 armed men on this. Mm. So you can imagine it's like this. <laughs> and people would actually travel with these. This is where all your letters went on there, all the supplies. They'd all go up there, you know. Mm. And um, they'd often walk alongside this if they wanted employment anywhere. They'd travel with it. And that's, this is the case there. And they, they armed them all. These were often, they, most of them were employees of some of these, these settlers that were being left out of there. Because they, they said, well, might be saying we're... Um, He's going to cover the roads. We'll show him. You know, <laughs> we're going to we're going to force our way up there. And they thought this is invincible. You know, eighteen armed men. You know, this massive train. He ambushed the thing. You know, <laughs> with over a hundred. You know, they and they did this on a on a particular pass. And you you read the accounts. Maybe maybe um, I I don't know if Libby went into it, but it's it, it's fascinating because they had the logs. So you know, it looked like just fallen logs. But you see, the thing is, if you've got a fallen log, you can't back over back over it on a on a narrow pass with a train of um of bullocks. And they also had uh, saplings uh, tied along the road so that you can't even get into the. And that's a, at the time it was quite rainforesty there. So you know, you couldn't actually get in there because it's fenced off. You can't go back. And they actually trapped them in there. And the brilliant thing is, they then he had all his warriors hiding. There's a, there's a creek bank near there. And they were hiding below there and just making a lot of hoo-ha, you know. And it's so, you know, and it's just, the, and then they throw spears, but they're down, you can't see them. They're down in the bank, you know. And that, that so freaked out the, um, the, the team. They all left. They all quit. They all cowardly ran back uh, to the um, inn. And, of course, they, they completely um, demolished the, um, uh, the, the supplies, you know, they, they and all the bullocks went went bush. They, they speared a number of them, you know, just let them off, you know. Um, and that's what that was the, the thing that that uh, that was a trigger because then the, um, Frank, you and my co-author reckons that it was, may have been even deliberate. Now maybe they thought, you know, all of these our employees are expendable, and you know, we just need something to sort of um, some excuse to draw Maltugger out. Um, and that's exactly what happened. They they, they went back to the to the end and a lot of the squatters and this is the interesting thing what Frank points out well why were they still there you know it does look like it was pre-planned they were still there waiting you know for what you know and so they gathered this force up of some 40 to 50 men as I said and went after them and they seemed to have chased them through the, the shrub for a while I think it was again a deliberate thing I think Maltugger was you know the thing is they can see coming ahead and so I was talking about the um there was very complex messaging and signaling going on so they would know well ahead whites are coming, but they're also signaling each other, you know, for forces to come here, move there, so on, this sort of thing. It was also done with messengers. And um, we have several accounts of that. Mount Tabletop itself was used for that purpose. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so they, they seem to have um, lured them further and further into the bush and then and then made this sort of mock retreat up um, Mount Tabletop. And if you've ever gone to Mount Tabletop, there's slopes of it which are absolutely covered in loose boulders and rock it's everywhere you go and it's also extremely steep you know so um uh the whites thought hey you know we're you know we've got them on the run you know and then they chased after them and, and only to be and there were even boulders they even rolled entire boulders down the hill so mm -hmm. several 
people were really badly injured. Doesn't seem like any of the whites died, uh, but then some depends on the count you read. Um, but anyway, they were defeated, and then so they, they waited down the bottom of the hill for Simpson to come uh, with his police. And they thought, well, you know, police, we'll show them, we'll do it together. And he he had he found that the road had already been blocked again before you could even get there. <laughs> he kind of got there, and then and then and then just said, nah, nah, this is <laughs> now we're not doing this. <laughs> and he went back. Now, and so and you imagine, and, and that's why this is this the whole One Tree Hill battle is so uh, impressive mm-hmm. because these men were were they they at the time they were already um, fairly important, but then they these these white men actually then later on became major politicians and, and business heads and so on, and they, and they were terribly embarrassed that they completely lost. But that wasn't the end of it. But then they, um, Simpson went back to Brisbane and to gather forces, you know, he went to get every single person that was in the army, in the in the um, police, anyone who had arms, you know. You've got to remember, Brisbane back then was a tiny place. It wasn't like a lot, but there, there, but there was certainly... Um, and then at the same time, the squatters went back they, they thought we can't handle this. They went up to the down and they, they went around recruiting people. So there was some like a week or something of this doing this. And I, I we we worked it out. It was somewhere between um, 70 to 200 whites. And it seems to have been like the one of the biggest um, drives uh, uh, in the frontier wars. You know, they had that many uh, as a combined action. And they, they formed these little groups like of 20 odd and they, and they, and they tried to drive Altagara and his and, and his uh, allies out of the um, the shrub, and um, Maltagara seems to have hit on the idea of um, going to Rosewood Shrub. Now, the, uh, talking with the, the Yagara people, um, right at that time when he was doing that is, is actually the the fruiting season. It's the best time to be there because Mal, because the Rosewood Shrub is an enormous area. It's 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 like got a wall of thickets. You, you, it's people are always getting lost in there. It's a uh, uh, Brigalow and you know and, and and hills and and you know it's very difficult to to get into or to get around. But inside, it's it's especially at that time you had a lot of um, all sorts of berries and nuts and all, all the birds were uh, nesting, so they're all bird food and eggs and whatnot, you know. And then there's eels and so on. So he went. He basically um, they moved to there, but there was all this sniping and that going on. So there were all these little battles of them pushing them into there and and. Um, and um, you know, try, uh, with the whites trying to find where the where the secret camps were. So then you have this going on for years and years from that little point, you know. And, and Maltaga then doing a lot of his um, uh, his activities from out of the Rosewood Shrub, and and one and a lot more brilliant. Like uh, in this period, he um, uh, there, there's a there was a station just to the east of um, of um, Rosewood Shrub between there and Ipswich, if you like, mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, that's the he basically uh, told the got them all out of there. You know, there was a bit of a sort of a firefight, and and basically evicted all the um all the uh, whites and 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 made them stand there and watch while while they burned down all the all the uh, all the, the their buildings and and then and said to them, uh, now get off. This is our land. We've got mm. that recorded. You know, so it's very interesting. He he um he said that. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were a lot of these sort of little successful things, and that went on for ages. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I'd love the, as well, you know, um, you know, so what was happening when um, Maltagra was sort of meeting up with the uh, with the Yagra mob, and you know, what was sort of obviously you know, we don't know the dialogue and the discussion as well. You know, at this time, you know, he's sort of getting chased, um, you know, by these somewhat almost 70 to 200 um, squatters and, and, and police officers, and all, pretty much all his, all, all his whites and, and settlers. Um, well, was he planning? Was he reinforcing? You know, like, well, was he gathering more troops as well, more warriors as well, and, and carrying out some more stuff as well? Or was it sort of in this stage, just sort of keep low and until it dies down, then come back um, and, and then try and, you know, continue the resistance? Well, um, the the records we have from Simpson, who was recording this, he was the, the uh, police commissioner and land commissioner, is is that uh, they were again raiding all along that. They were again stopping the the, the traffic up up the hill. So he obviously just sort of you know, I mean, the, 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 there's even a, a an account that they uh, the whites got in and um, and found the the main secret camp, and and there was a whole lot of weapons. There was like a stockpile of weapons there that they destroyed. But that doesn't seem to stop them because 
just after that, you've got all these other raids and things going on. I think there were a lot of different things that happened. Um, I know at one point, Maltago changed the, ta the tactics and decided that they would just concentrate on, on killing all the stock. And that's even written where they said they, they seem to be wanting to wipe out the stock everywhere, you know. Mm. So it was like, because the trouble is when you attack or kill people, uh, you know, Europeans, then there was often really bad um, repercussions in terms of, mm. you know, the, the revenge sort of stuff. Um, whereas it was di more difficult for them to make that case if you're going to just wipe out their, their um, uh, li livestock, you know. So so there was there was a time they were doing that. Um, in some accounts, there were, he had 500 warriors. You know, the um, it doesn't add up. Like his his father was apparently had control over like a thousand five hundred. They in some of the accounts, and that would probably mm. be all the different allied tribes. You know, mm, because mm. it wasn't that big. You know, uh, some say it was three thousand. You know, this the very so certainly he had a lot of influence, and 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 I think he carried it on. But I think it also broke up a bit because what happened on the downs is that. At one point, it said that some of the um, the Downs people started to, to, to uh, I guess it was just too tough a battle for them. They, they started to do their own little, little uh, you know, um, fighting back from there, and they didn't want to do going with um, Maltagra anymore. Um, but, um, and, you know, you've got to know, he's, he's quite a young man. He seems to have been in his, um, in his 20s. You know, they talk about him as the, as the handsome young chief, you know. Mm. Um, but um, it, but the the so one of the things towards the end he was actually concentrating a lot was on the Rosewood um, uh, station, which was in like the main uh, station there, and they, they did some big attacks there, and that's that's when it apparently he died. Although some talking to some of the families, they reckon he lived on longer, and there's there's some conflicting accounts, so I don't know. But the but the but the, but the story I have from one, and that's the uh, native police officer, was that he actually um, waved on his his uh, troops with a for Branch, even when he was getting shot, and he and he, um, you know, telling to keep going, and that that he was killed there near um, Rosewood um, Station, which is now it's not where Rosewood Town is. It's um, um, it's I think it's called Glen Morgan. It's it's a little little town, sort of in the in the corner, on, on, off the main road. Mm. Um, that was actually a main um, area of um, where they had intertribal meetings and that. So that I can understand why that. And they had big camps there, you know, so that was a real centre for them. Mm. Mm. I would love to sort of, as well, you know, I, I guess at this stage, you know, this is sort of, you know, the back end of the story of Maltagara, whether or not he died or not, you know, this was around the time, like you said, mm. you know, these incidents happened and there's conflicting stories. Uh, I guess on that case then, like, can we sort of focus maybe on, you know, the battle tactics that they used throughout these resistances and then also... Yeah like you touched on the signalling uh, with other mobs as well, you know, the mountain tribes yeah. and stuff as well. So, uh, you know, how were these battle tactics, tactics used? Um, and then also the signalling from other, other mobs as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, as, as I touched on before, you know, you've got to remember the, the, the landscape was a bit different in the sense that, you know, there, there were very few towns and they were very small and it's mainly, so you're mainly dealing with, with cattle stations and how do you deal with them? You know, uh, and that's why you get all these, uh, you know, taking the taking the, the the flocks and so on, or taking part of the flocks, and and also a lot of burning down of individual um, outstations. The other thing was was this sort of like, which uh, Libby Connors goes on a lot about, is this sort of like um, killings. You know, when when white people are killed, it's always just one offs here there. You know, it's a very interesting thing with the battles, and that has to do something with how, um, from what I'm putting together Arab people used to traditionally battle. They, 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 there were uh, sort of uh, you know, conflict resolution, if you like, between groups. And they would, and there was a lot of protocol around that. It wasn't just sort of, you know, get in there and, and you know, there was a whole thing of, of who would march out and meet who and then and who would follow and, and also what you could and couldn't do. Like you weren't supposed to uh, hurt the, the vital organs, You all, all the scarification because that was all you had to sort of do on the back and that, and people were very adept at sort of avoiding getting hit. So in a lot of these um, intertribal battles, traditionally, um, it was often a lot of just venting and, um, and, uh, and mm. skill. Uh, and the casualties were very small compared to say a medieval battle, you know, mm. uh, but sometimes they were big. It depended on how, you know, what the issue was. If it was like a real, real ongoing uh, feud, then they might get really, vengeful on the other side you know so it depended but mostly there was very light and it seems like the same thing was used when when there was a battle against whites 
it was um, almost all the accounts I have. It's, it's rarely that anyone got got, got killed. They were, they were they were definitely defeated. They were they were, they were, they were severely hurt. Um, they were they were driven out of an area. But that was usually how you won a battle in traditional terms. You just drove the opponent you, you away. You, you humiliated them, and that was enough. Whereas if you if you killed person, people, it was much more um, specific. You you knew what they it was it was a you know like a payback you know. Mm-hmm. So this would go on. I, I had it's interesting. I talked to some Marunda people who were about the Collington massacre. You know, because I said because that's the most recent one we can uh, um, we've got documented. And I said, well, what happened after that? You know, and the fellow was telling me how talking to the aunties and uncles that you know when he did the interviews um, is that. Um, they tracked down some of these guys that were involved in that. Obviously, they didn't get all of them, but they tracked down some of them decades later and towns, you know, hundreds <coughs> of kilometres away and got them then, you know. And this, is the, this seems to be in the pattern, and um, Libby goes on about that a fair bit, you know, of finding, you know, that there was the, the justice system. So you'll mm. find that people were just um, picked off here and there. But that in itself was an amazing tactic because what that meant is that a lot of whites became terrified because they didn't know... <laughs> Any moment, anywhere, uh, it's a bit like terrorism works today, you know. You know, we, we've only had like, what, in Australia, there's only been like a handful of people that have actually been killed by a terrorist a plot. But look at the fear it creates. This worked very, very successfully. Here, the, the, the death rate was a lot, a lot higher. We don't even know how many white people uh, got mm. killed because a lot of them aren't even recorded. You know, I've, I've been working on this with Frank. I mean, in this conflict during with um, Maltogland, it seems to be maybe around... 50 and that's kind of but they're all scattered all over the time in different places and might not be directly multi-dependent mm. um very low you know and this is a wonderful thing in, in indigenous warfare is that it wasn't um about massacring it was just about harassing well i guess harassing 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 and, and terrorizing until the, the people left you know well uh, you know like this is one of the things that you know i had a discussion with Livy about as well his sort of um, the tactics, like like in her book, she has an account of of a battle pretty much um, near the PA Hospital, Juliet and and, and Cornwall Street. Um, you know, and she said like you know uh, the whites uh, in the time loved you know these these events as you know as it was sort of like theatre play to them. You know, it was very ferocious. You know, there was all this energy. You know what I mean? Uh, the scene was set by, you know, these, these, these pretty much fire poles. You know what I mean? That they were usually um, began at dusk or, or something like that there, she was saying. Um, <clears throat> but she was saying, like, you know, they fought as ferocious as, any, as anybody could fight. But then, you know, like you just mentioned, they never touched their vital organs. And, you know, like the it was very precise in terms of how these, um, uh, how these battles went. And then it carried mm. on into sort of how they would, you know, battle uh, with the settlers and um, and that as well. Like they wouldn't, they, they just want to drive them out. What does that sort of say to, I guess, uh, their battle tactics or, or them, you know, I mean, because in the eyes of other people, you know, if you go into battle, you're going to kill people um, yeah. and maybe take their land as well. But on the other hand, these Aboriginal people, you know, have this sort of, you know, uh, different way to sort of, you know, um, um, battle people what what's your thoughts on that yeah um well um okay i think it's it's one thing it's, it's a lot more um peaceful you know than the sort of massive slaughter that whites did you know so i think in that regard it's more honorable um you know it's funny because uh, uh, uh what's the name um uh uncle um bob anderson said to me when i was doing the stuff about the uh uh the Mingalba battle you know he said it wasn't our way to kill people you know, in, in battle. That wasn't our way. We just didn't do that. You know, and I'm thinking, wow, so that, that is, I mean, you know, people did die. Some of the scores of them died, you know, but it wasn't the intention when you went out there. You really just sort of were there to, you know, uh, it's more of an honour thing, you know. Like, mm-hmm. so there it was just a show of face and, and it was almost like a psychological effect. So in terms of like, well, is that effective? Well, you know, I mean, guerrilla warfare is always what they call the battle of the flea anywhere in the world. So it's always about harassment. It's not about because um, uh, if you if you actually put a, a great all your people out there, um, you're actually going to be at a disadvantage because you're battling something that's got more technology than that. If you're doing guerrilla warfare, and it's going to have more people and more technology, so you're going to lose if you do it that way. The way you do it 
is by constant harassment mm. and, and terrorism. Basically, you know, making them, it's, it's, a, it's a psychological war. You just make people too freaked out to be there, you know. And, and in that regard, I, I find it was highly effective because that's exactly what they did. We've got plenty of accounts of settlers saying, well, uh, you know, we can't get anyone to work out here, you know. No one wants to come out here. They're, they're shit scared, you know. Mm. People don't want to travel the road. They, they effectively stop the, the um, communication and supply chain, you know. That, that is huge. A lot of people just sort of quit their run and then spent years trying to sell it to someone, you know, um, who would renew it. So you have this sort of like to and fro, back and forward. And you think in the meantime, because these, these aren't fenced, these runs, it mean, in the meantime, it means that your land has gone back to you as an Aboriginal person. This, you know, you, you, you've, the huts are now these smouldering little ashes, and the, the sheep are gone, the land's all back, you know? And that might be for ages. They, didn't, they weren't realising that someone back there is actually selling that to someone else who's going to try it again in a few years, you know? Mm. Um, but anyway, it, 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 for me, it's, it, it, is it is a different type of warfare, and that's made it uh, difficult because Europeans were just used to, um, you know, people just killing en masse and, you know, and this sort of thing. But um, I think that's also why it was more successful um, because if they if say Mortograd said now nah, we'll just let's all just get a, get over to um, uh, Morton Bay town and just wipe everyone out um, that would have actually had incredibly terrible consequences for them because you know you then get some you know you'd all full front of the military and and that wasn't really a good answer you know um, same like in Vietnam you know same sort of thing. You, know, you don't you don't do that. It's just stupid. Mm, mm, mm. Well, I guess that sort of talks to sort of the battle tactics that you know Aboriginal people had. They knew how to sort of manoeuvre in and out of these things as well. Um, <clears throat> And, you know, obviously they knew the terrain better than anybody else as well, you know what I mean? So they yes, could use these other the, tactics. The, the, this is what I, when I did the stuff at, um, both at Mount, at Mount Tabletop and at um, Moongab, what hit me is the fact that the environment is like an enormous weapon and Aboriginal people knew how to use that weapon. When, with the one at um, Moongalba, what they used was a swamp. You know, they basically lured the, the soldiers into the swamp and then they were stuck to their knees and in, in they couldn't actually charge or do anything they'd shoot into the into areas and they couldn't see anyone same thing you find with the with the battle of uh, of one tree hill if you go up that hill and, and it's really good to actually go to these places because then you get an idea and you see man this was actually very clever because there it's incredibly steep and if you're actually up the top you can fit a lot of people at the top of the mount tabletop it's actually quite uh, sandy soil you could you, you could pitch your huts there you could stay up there you know you know you could you could have thousands up there it's a big area but the other thing is that when you're at the top, you can see um, the people below, but the people below can't see you, you know? So they actually, they knew this spot. Uh, it was an important lookout for them. They, they, they knew how to use that. And, and there's also, there's, uh, there's a lot of um, shrub on the way up. There's, there's like rainforesty trees here and there that you can hide behind and, you know, so, and, and as I said, just the rocks, you know, you, you just slide on it and so on. So, they, they did that in a lot of places. They would actually uh, seem to have lured um, whites into, into spots that they would just find impossible. And they could disappear into the, into the shrub very easy, you know, which whites couldn't do. There's so many of this. Like even, even uh, when, um, as I said, there was a force of, I don't know, uh, 70 to 200, or, you know, trying to get to Maltagra. Despite yeah. all that, they, they, they just got lost, you know. <laughs> they, there's one account that they, that they, that they came back and and all they, they they went through the entire shrub and all they came back with was was a, it was a cart with was a dead dog, and um and a, a wadi or something but they found that was just about it that was about it that was that was the sum total of their of their success you know? um and you know it is in in uh, guerrilla warfare is about is about living to fight another day you know there's no point in in in, in losing all your folks but. The, the other thing you were asking about, it was about the signalling. Mm. Um, I've been looking, I just did a paper that was going to come out at the end of the year where I'm, I'm looking at, because um, I found it was much more sophisticated than I thought. There were regular messengers, that was a regular job that particular youth were given um, who were good at languages and, and had good running skills and so on and, and good at negotiation. Um, um, they were kind of like trained up in it and there was a network of this that was going back and forth, back and forth all over the place. They would run... Message sticks, uh, surprisingly, a lot of them actually had, uh, they were like um, 
sort of like a dot point summary of, of what you're going to say. You know, the, 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 uh, even in um, Napoleonic times, oral messengers were always preferred to a written one. Why? Because you, um, it can't be interfered with. You know, if you know, you can find a letter, but if the letter is in someone's head, that's a lot harder to get to. You can't uh, intercept it. You know, so they would carry that. But they, but there was sort of like a summary that they had in the um, in these message sticks, and some of them were actually um, some of the ones like uh, I've seen actually were like you know who what groups would move there and where they'd signal you know for the, these things. So there was a lot of coordination. Um, Intertribal meetings were important for that. Like uh, Libby would have talked about the, the big discussions that were held at the at the Bunyas, but that was also done elsewhere. And that's also why a lot of white settlers used to target intertribal meetings because they, they knew that um, that was the opportunity for groups to get together to discuss well what they want, what we're going to do, and, and who's going to do what when that sort of thing. And, and often they would often work themselves up into a you know you know psychologically and actually do. Uh, different actions, you know, after, because you had the volume of people you could do it with, you know, yeah. but often it wasn't that, it was done later. And, and for that, then they'd use the, the smoke signaling. There were specific hills for that. Often the messages were quite, um, you know, quite elaborate. You know, the, the interesting thing is they could actually uh, give numbers you know, by the amount of puffs of smoke. It's similar to the thing of uh, North American Indians. People think, oh, that's so strange. Actually, it was, uh, the Romans did it too. You know, it was actually a system that was everywhere. Mm. Um, all over the world, people people had that. They had at nighttime. You did it with beacons, and daytime it was um, it was uh, smoke. Uh, and the the system that people had was was such that there was an internal code too. So that, that there was they'd use different stuff if they were talking about something they didn't want other people to hear. You know, mm. uh, I've got one account of one uh, that's from Wide Bay, but it relates. And they're up there, and, and, he's, and the settler and his and his brother saying, "Oh, you know, they saw they they, they saw a smoke signal." They said, "Oh, so there's a there's a trader in the camp. Someone has said where we are." And then they were trying to work out the signal, and they said they couldn't understand the signal. They knew they, they knew some of the signals, and they said, "We don't mm. know what what they're, what they're sending. You know, what information there." So you can see how this worked. You know, um, there's accounts that that just through this smoke signaling, and some of these can go like. 300 to even even 900 kilometers that, that it depends on where you're doing from i mean you can the visibility it's it's as quick as getting an, an email you know you, you see it you know what you know what you've got to do you know it, it's it's extraordinarily quick as long as it's uh, they've tried this out with visibility with some of the old roman place and also with the pueblo indians and they they found it's, it's correct you know you can actually signal that far um so you know sometimes it would call people in to it in one particular spot even coming from hundreds, hundreds of kilometres away, you know, they would just immediately get off and uh, and, and go to that, that spot. You know? So it, it is possible to coordinate groups. Mm, mm, mm. But like I said, a lot of it was targeting what I call economic sabotage. It's more about, you know, well, let's just let's just rip the economy out of these out of these guys. We can we can do it. We can run it. You know, this is a great idea. Okay, sheep. Yeah, let's let's do it. <laughs> And um, and make it sort of impossible for them to sustain themselves, and that and that drives them off, you know, rather than uh, directly killing people. Uh, so uh, you know, and, and it actually worked quite well because it was used all over the continent, and and it did um, did result in a lot of areas being abandoned. You know? uh, and that's also what I, I like to point out is that it wasn't just a one way. Uh, I mean, you wouldn't go on resisting. If you if you just got slaughtered all the time, you know, no, no one's that idiotic. You know, the, the fact that these the resistance kept on for decades shows it was effective. Mm. Um, mm. But in time, it sort of wore out. You know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, well, Ray, you know, thanks for coming on and having a yarn. Um, but I guess just before we end, could you tell us some of the names of some of these figures as well? And then, and then after I'll ask you uh, where we can find your books. Uh, but then also maybe, um, you know, some of the articles or, or papers that you've done as well. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm best uh, gotten through my email. Um, and uh, the books, it, it's uh, Bullerong Press. Uh, I don't know where I put it now. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, Bullerong Press, they, they've got a, they've got out, uh, they basically stock all the different uh, libraries all over the place. Um, it's in most libraries what I've written. Uh, my my articles are in different academic journals, but you know you can find me. The good thing is because I've got a strange name. If you Google my name, it, all, all the information comes up straight on the first up. You know it's Ray Coco. Um And in terms of other other 
that's what I want to mention. There was several, and we're, we're still just discovering all this. We're putting it together. Like I, I mentioned, there was Black Napoleon, who was Elipe, who was a major fighter um, uh, in the really early years from, from Stratty, but also did, did stuff on the mainland. Um, there was um, Mulroban, who was on the south side of Brisbane. Um, oh gosh, and some of it went on a lot later. Like, like there's King Billy Turner, who, who, who was a lot later, you know, but in that same area as, as, as old Moppy and Maltagara. Yeah. Um, Dundley Yilbung, you know, he's, you know, the only who's 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 um, uh, uh, Dundley's brother, I think. But the but the point is, and we're still reconstructing a lot of these um, biographies, and I'm 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 hoping this is just just the start, you know. And then I guess, well, I guess we'll just finish with this as well. Like you're saying, like you're just beginning to sort of touch the surface or, or, or figure out and, and know more of these uh, figures. How important is it to actually want to know these, these figures, but then also have this accessible as well, you know, uh, not just the Aboriginal people, but everybody in this country? Yeah. Um, it, it's, well, importance. Well, I'll tell you this, you know, I mean, having also done white history, even as a white person, there's nothing so exciting as this stuff, you know. I, I think, in fact, the the, uh, the white history is very bland. But um, this, I've always been interested in conflict history because it's really, you know, what do people do when the shit hits the fan? You know, the, the, it's not just about misery. It's also about people's ingenuity, their um, uh, yeah, their bravery, their their intelligence under under incredible odds, you know. I think that's why people get, and it's fascinating what what solutions people can come up with in, in, in a difficult situation. Um, and it, it's also real leadership, like the fact that that Multagra um, and Moppy could pull together groups over such a huge area. As I said, this was just part of an of, of a larger alliance of, of a whole lot of groups that covered almost the whole of southern Queensland. You know, so in dire times, people can come up, people can find it within themselves to do stuff like that, you know. Um, and in terms of accessibility, well, uh, there's, there's, there's certainly quite a bit that's online. Uh, it's an ongoing thing. I'm, I'm hoping, it's funny because when I gave some of these talks uh, when we were developing this, a lot of the families came forward and said, oh, look, we, you know, our, our mob boys talked about this. And I think, yeah, well, tell me more, you know. <laughs> but they often they keep it to themselves, you know. And I think, yeah, you know, damn it, you know, there, there's, uh, there's, um, uh, I don't know if you know the, the Joshua Waters, but he was yep. telling me this, and it's so bloody true. He was he was saying, look, uh, everyone's got a picture, a piece of the jigsaw puzzle, and all we and inst and we just need to sit together, and and we did this once, and, and like you know, it, it didn't matter. Some of them were related to that group, some weren't, but they had different bits and pieces, and when they all talk together, it's amazing, you know, how much you can build from that. Um, and I'm hoping more of that's done because. I've seen it, you know, um, like there might just be one little fragment that one family has got, but then there's another fragment. And if, if it all sit together, then you actually can, uh, you know, and there are, there are oral stories that have come down, even about mm. Maltagra and Mocky. Um, I used a bit of that, well, I used quite a bit of that in the book, you know. Um, again, it's just like other, in other history. People are afraid of oral history because they say, well, you know, people's memory is limited and so on. But I'll tell you, you know how they did it in Africa? Basically, okay, you'd go to the, the, the village uh, headman who would often be able to recite some the particular history of that area. Right? You'd go to the king or the chief and he'd have some, you know, he'd have the official line. But then what you'd do is you keep going all the different groups so that would balance it out because then they'd have a different story. You know? mm. it's, and that's no different from how we do it with books the, these days because you, if you read one book, you're going to get that person's or that, I don't know, what mm. the government's official line then you've got to keep reading, you know? And, and in traditional times, Aboriginal people who were um, considered, um, you know, the intelligentsia, they were the ones who actually had sort of scoped and, and sort of done their research across many, many, and they, their knowledge was actually broader. That's mm -hmm. that, just exactly like you research today, you know, mm -hmm. with a book. You can do it orally in a book. So I'm hoping more of that happens. Um, um, and, I'm, and it also just, you know, I think if we start it, as I said, I feel like we're 200 years behind America. They, there they were interested from the beginning. I, think, I guess because they, are, they rebelled from Britain. So they were always interested in knowing what, what he, even though they were fighting things, they were always interested in that side of things. Or we here have swept it under the carpet. But I'm sure there will be more productive biographies and more, more insightful 
studies than I've done in future, you know, as people, you know, go over and find more and so on. Awesome. Deadly. Um, well, yeah, just before uh, we head off as well, um, you know, if you would love, you know, to know more about uh, what we're speaking about, the book is available, uh, Battle of, of One Tree Hill. Um, you know, I'm sure your local bookstores may have it or just go online as well and look at that as well. Uh, Ray, <clears throat> sorry. Uh, no, thanks for coming on and having a yarn uh, and being part of this discussion as well. Um, you know, and, you know, this is one of many stories uh, that I'll be looking to cover and continuing to cover as long as possible. You know what I mean? You just mentioned so many that, that are in Southeast Queensland. You know what I mean? Even before coming on this, the, the, today's episode, but then just starting this year, you don't realise, you know, the multitude of, of individuals that actually, you know, um, participated in these things. You know what I mean? You just, I think you just rattled off maybe five or six in this instance that, you know, uh, within you know an hour or two hour drive from me here, you know what I mean. So like that's amazing to know that, you know what I mean. Got to remember that the population was a lot bigger. There were a lot less that's whites, it. and a lot, yeah. more, a lot more mm. Aboriginal people there. Mm. And this is mm. what people they say: How come there's so many Jackies and so many Billies? Well, there were there were many more people than there are today. You know, in mm. all these places. You know, mm. so of course you've got more leaders. You know, mm. um, different population. Yeah, mm. Mm, definitely, definitely. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah thank you. <laughs>